Hello, friends. Today's guest is none other than Daryl Kautz. Daryl was a teacher in the Excelsior Springs School District for nearly 30 years, and in a way continues to be a teacher in the community, whether it be his service to the Excelsior Springs Museum and Archives for two decades, the Optimist Club, or doing veteran outreach through his church. Daryl is just one of those folks who help a community go round. My wife, Stacy, was in Daryl's fifth grade class, and she introduced me to him when we moved here in 2015. After our conversation, we walked around the museum a bit. Man, if you live in the Excelsior Springs or are visiting, I highly encourage you to check out the Excelsior Springs Museum. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Um, it's, it's pretty swell. Hey, everybody. This is Nuggets in Verse. I'm your host, Philip Shear. I have long-form conversations with entrepreneurs, athletes, working folks, and anyone with a story to tell. I hope you find your nugget of truth or inspiration in this episode. All right, Daryl, thank you for uh, joining us on Nuggets and Verse. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Um, I know you... so. A neat thing has happened since I've moved to Excelsior, which is um, I've met this whole group of people. Um, and when I'm out and about in town, like there are just there's this group of people that I just see on a regular basis, and it makes me feel like I'm part of part of the community a little bit. And so uh, I was introduced to you introduced to you from you know obviously from my wife Stacy, and uh, so I, I get to see you often, which I which I enjoy talking to you. So. Thank you. Uh, yes, Stacy was in my fifth grade class, so that's you know. Yep, <laughs> I uh, didn't ruin everybody. <laughs> you you definitely did not ruin her. So, um, one place I like to start a lot when I'm talking to somebody from Excelsior Springs, which most of our guests have been, um, is like what, like how did you come to be in Excelsior? Um, um, I read that you came here in 1971. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, I came here in 71. Uh, I took a walking tour of Vietnam, uh, carrying a pack and a rifle. And I got out of there in April of 71 and was looking for a job. The first thing I looked for was, was my girlfriend who became my wife a couple months later. And then five months or five days after that, we went, I worked in a private boys' camp for years before that. And so we got married in June the 12th. And then in the 17th, we were at the boys' camp where she was working as a nurse's aide also at that time. Uh, and then we, I needed a job. So I got a job here in Excelsior Springs. And I've been here ever since. And you uh, grew up in Maryville? I grew up in Maryville. Okay. Uh, 90 miles away or 90. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did a lot of, you know, I was typical high school. I went to, you know, played sports and I did this and that and something else. And anyway, it was, it was fun. My, of all the things I did in high school is, is typing was the worst. I got a total of 21 words a minute in typing. <laughs> uh, so you show me something with a keyboard or throw the dang thing in the creek. I don't, you know, I don't, yeah. I don't need it. So here at the museum, I don't, uh, 
I'm not the one they ask about a, doing something on a computer. That's, let's just say that. So. Um, ironically, I, one of uh, the things that I remember the most about high school is because I use it every day is, is being taught home row, home row. Um, and like, that's, that's one of those things that served me really well. Well, <laughs> I'm not a fast typer, but uh, at least I'm not like the, yeah, well, I, huh. yeah, I can hunt and peck. <laughs> uh, I, there's some times I wrote in college, I wrote out a, a, uh, a paper that I had to have. I wrote it out. I printed it, not on a printer, but by hand in, yeah. in, uh, in, uh, so that was one of the things that, you know, that, uh, it was one, not fun for me anyway. Mm-hmm. So when you came to Excelsior, like what, um, like, like what was Excelsior when you, what was it like when you first got here? I'm always interested in like the time, like frames of Excelsior history. When I got here, the Elms was closed. Uh, there were the other two hotels, big hotels were still going. The Maples was closed. In town, there was Penny's, Ward, Sears, uh, Western Auto, Coast to Coast, Ben Franklin, two banks, two jewelry stores. Uh, that was in 1971. But it, by about, oh, about 80, 75, well, probably 75, the majority of them had gone. Mm-hmm. And by 80, almost all of them. We still have some of the banks, but the mega banks kind of took over some of them. And so that's what's happened since then. So... When I moved here, the Job Corps had been there for like three years, two or three years. Mm-hmm. So they were, and everything that you heard was them Job Corps. And I thought, I teach a little bit of English in elementary school. Mm-hmm. So I, but them Job Corps, when you're talking about they did something, that I think that's not quite the correct English anymore. Yeah. So, so that was one of the things that always, you know, by hearing people just talk about other people, how they, and they had people go to Washington, D.C. that tried to get the Job Corps moved out in, in the early days of the Job mm-hmm. Corps. So. And Job Corps is, uh, um, it's the former Veterans Hospital, Veterans right? Hospital, yeah. Which that closed in 50... It closed in like 60, I think it was like 68, I think, or somewhere okay. in there. I think I had read that it closed the same year that the article came out about the yeah that was like 60 years it was like the it was right around that exact same time mm-hmm. and they were like ball and the clinic were like the two largest employers and ball, they kind of closed yeah. at the same time the ball clinic and and excelsior institute uh what the va hospital and then there was others that kind of came and went they had by different names but there are five of them at one time mm-hmm. five clinics What's it been like for you to see like Excelsior kind of, especially downtown, kind of like, kind of have this rebirth and come back? When I first moved here, uh, there were, you know, with two banks and and with all the big uh, clinics that were closing at that time, this was where the money of Clay County was because this is where uh, all the doctors and the hospitals and there were a lot of doctors that lived here Mm -hmm. uh, and had careers here and when they left this became uh, a center of uh, section 8 housing Mm -hmm. and so it went from 
the elite of Clay County, some of them, down to kind of the armpit of Clay County. And then about, I don't know, probably 25 years ago or a little bit more, then that's when Excelsior Springs started coming back as a, as a, as a place to come, you know, mm-hmm. place to come to and, and visit and see the businesses and things that are going on here. And so it's changed a lot since I, cause I didn't, I was never here for the, for the uh, boom mm-hmm. era. I was here for the bust era yeah. for the first, <laughs> first several years. I wonder if at, I wonder if Excelsior was a more prominent community than, than Liberty at that mm-hmm. time. I would assume it would be, I yes, hadn't really thought about that. Yes, it was. Um, when I moved to the Kansas City area in 96, uh, I mean, Liberty was a shell of what it is now. Mm-hmm. So I guess that would kind of make sense that uh, that Excelsior was more of a more of a hot spot per se. Yeah, Excelsior and Liberty played football and with the dueling pistols, and and it was pretty much all Excelsior the first many years, mm-hmm. and then uh, the last game that they played, uh, I think that was when my son was playing his last game was the score well liberty lost that game so the dueling pistols are in the museum so that's what, start, what's the dueling pistols the i whirling, don't know the dueling pistols were the kind of the trophy for the winner of the football okay. game so if you had the if you won the football game you got to keep the trophy or the pistols in your showcase for the next year till the next football game and uh when they quit playing us, because this little dinky school that had 850 played a school of about 2,000, yeah. they quit. They quit playing us, and we're darn sure not going to send those pistols back to Liberty, which is who somebody bought them in there, I think. Yeah, originally. So huh. I have not. I had not heard of the dueling pistols. I've heard of the the mineral water bowl, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that was about the same time that. Excelsior was dominant when that started. So there was a long history of uh, good football here. The Mineral Water Bowl, is that just, I mean, is it, uh, I guess I really don't know, like, what it's. Uh, it started It started with the quarterback club. They had a really good football team. So they traveled to Tennessee, I think, one year, or maybe a couple years. They played a, a team in another town. Then it became a small college bowl, uh, and the University of Nebraska coach uh, Osborne, he played his first bowl game was here in Excelsior Springs when he was playing for the college where he went. So and this is a, a college game? It, was a, it started out as, as high school and then for okay. a few years, and then it became a, co- a small college. Okay. Uh, and then it became uh, a junior college and then a few years ago they got into the MIAA and the Northern Sun Conference which is the MIAA is Missouri Kansas now Oklahoma and Nebraska and the Northern Sun is Minnesota Wisconsin up in that area so they love to come down here in December to play in a bowl game because it was a you know a lot warmer here than it was mm-hmm. at home perhaps yeah, a friend I know, uh, Tyrone, um, who lives in Oklahoma, um, I know him through cycling, and he was actually here and visited once. Um, I think uh, him and some other folks had come in, um, to the Kansas City area to do the, the MS uh, the MS ride. So he was here, and then 
like a year ago, I saw that he posted like, oh, I went to Excelsior Springs, Missouri to visit um, the field where my dad played at the Mineral Water Bowl. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, do you do know that you were here already? (laughs) I want to tell him that. Like, you you were here already. He's like, oh, no way. I'm like, yeah. So um, we were... A friend of mine uh, and Stacy and I, we, we were we went on a short ride um, last week and we rode by Roosevelt, and uh, just like how like like incredible of a like a stadium that is. Mm-hmm. Like it would be, it would have been neat to see it in its in its time. Yeah, one so. one of the well, in ninety three, I think it was. Uh, they played. They played a football game there about ten days after the uh, flood. That the basement of the school was flooded, and uh, the field had about eight or ten feet of water on it. And uh, they played a week later. Yeah. Uh, but it was that was not one of those games that we say. I think we need to play in that one because some of the sewage and stuff. Oh, got, geez. got there also. I think. Uh, but after that, the, I went. I was da- came downtown and the. And I went by the field, and and the uh, sprinkler system, all the water had gone down, but the sprinkler system was now watering the field. I thought, <laughs> maybe maybe it had enough. Yeah. But, but that was pretty much what... I'm that, guessing that was the demise of Roosevelt, is its floodplain? Pretty much. Uh, it, it's, you know, it was uh, back in the, it started in the 30s during the Depression era, for, with WA, WPA project. And then when it, uh, well, when they built a new high school, they, they one time had two years at, at uh, Roosevelt, what was not then Roosevelt, it was just a high school, and two years at the high, what is now the high school. Then they built on uh, to the high school, what it, where is now the high school. And then everybody moved out there, and then uh, third or fourth and fifth grade moved to Roosevelt. So I spent my last few years of teaching. Uh, my my uh, classroom was only oh, about a little over two feet deep in water on the, in the basement. So it was not uh, not fun to walk into my classroom, let's say. Yeah, I bet. You said WPA. Is that the same kind of program that built the Hollow Waters? Mm-hmm. Yep. And they were kind of in the same time period. But the... The Hall of Waters was the most expensive WPA project in the state of Missouri. Wow! At over a million dollars at that time. So that was a that was uh, like I say, this is where the money of Clay County was. Mm-hmm. So it could get those kind of things, and hopefully, we're going to get back to where we can get those kind of things. Yep, that would be great. Um, so you taught fifth. So Stacy was to I quizzed Stacy a little bit about you. Okay. So so you taught fifth grade math, right? Well, I taught a little of everything. Okay. Well, that's what she, that's the class but, that she was in. But I I, she she was in my math class. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, she mentioned that if uh, if you got your like work done on time, you could go and play games on the. Like very first computer on a on a on a Texas <laughs> instrument or an Atari, one of the two. Yeah, and uh, it just made me think, um, like how kind of wild that is. That um, 
Because I kind of remember that too. I remember like the first time, and it was, um, well, I think we may have gotten like an Apple computer in junior high. That was some semblance of a computer, but <clears throat> she was saying that that was her like very first exposure to a computer ever. Yeah. Well, it went from the high school, then they got the Texas Instruments was out and they got the Ataris, and then the Texas Instrument went to the middle school, and then the when they got something else at the high school, the Texas Instruments moved down, the Ataris moved to us, and we had three or four of them, I think, uh, mm -hmm. for, for the fifth grades, maybe, but not very many. Do you have any, like, unique perspective on, like, seeing, like, what this world has become, like, Seeing kids interact with that stuff yeah. when it like first arrived. When you know somebody says, "Well, you can you know go through the bank and you can say you can do that on on your phone," and I said, no, "Not without my permission. I won't not going to cash that or put that check in the bank without my you know on the phone." Uh, again, it's a computer thing, and I don't have I don't don't like them very well. Yeah. Uh, but we had you know we learned and. Uh, except for me, because then they hired somebody to teach the computers, so I thought, good deal, because I, <laughs> I ain't going there. Because <laughs> we had to be help with teaching it originally, and I thought, what do I know? Yep. I, I can teach you the, the binary system, with it's, all, it's all zeros and ones, <laughs> mm -hmm. but, I, but don't tell me to, don't ask me to teach you how to use a computer, because I... I say a dumb guy with a smartphone, nothing changed. I'm still as dumb as I ever was. Oh, I don't think so. Um, so you, so we're sitting at the the museum right now. Um, the museum wasn't always here, wasn't it? It started in Hollow Water. Hollow Water, yep. And the guy that had some Indian artifacts that he wanted a place to house his artifacts collection. So that's kind of how it's got started. Mm -hmm. And then in in 68, the uh, the bank uh, was donated to the city by the Kemper Foundation. Uh, by Kemper's, not, maybe not the foundation, but by Kemper's mm -hmm. as a museum. So it's been a museum ever since. What? It, not to sidetrack us, but what were the Kempers involved in Excelsior? The Kemper, the Kemper, well, the bank building here was... Oh, the Kempers Clay, were... Clay County State Bank. They were It bankers, became okay. Commerce Bank, and Commerce had the biggest banks on this side of the state, and United Missouri Bank were the biggest banks on the east side of the state. Okay. So it was given to the, given to the city... Uh, and we moved in. The uh, Chamber of Commerce also had their office here. Mm -hmm. And uh, then in about 2000, they said, we're not making any money on that. We're paying the rent, or not the rent, we're paying the utilities, we're paying for the insurance, we're paying everything. We're not getting anything out of it. So they said, we need to sell it. So there was kind of a flap in the museum board at that time where uh, that we were asked to talk to the city about about the uh, his, uh, about the future of the museum, and the uh, curator and some of the board members that had been there before didn't agree on things. So 
it was all a uh, it was all a session where we were doing everything wrong. So every one of us resigned. So they going to do a new board. So uh, of the six, seven of us, uh, the treasurer and I were the only ones asked to be back on the board. So you say the treasurer is going to be still be the treasurer. Now who's going to be president? I'm the only one that knows how to turn the lights on. So I kind of figured that that was in the cards. So yeah. I've been here since 98. Uh, and I'd been there about three or four years when that when that happened. And so we've done a lot since then because it mm -hmm. was it was open, you know, dues were a dollar and we you know people said, "Well, we had 600 members. Well, we've got 400 three or 400 now, but we get a lot more money off the dues than we used to." Yeah. And uh it was a dollar to come in. Uh they were uh the secretary of the Chamber of Commerce was here all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it wasn't a Wednesday afternoon or Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon, when the ladies who were come in and, and they would use the loom and, and do some things, well, the Chamber of Commerce gal would open it up and turn on the lights and then you could just walk around. Uh, so since then, we've, you know, the dues are up. The, the uh, entrance fee is up. And uh, we're open five days a week from 11 to 4 rather than Wednesday afternoon. Mm -hmm. So That's so a it, little better. It has changed. Five days it, versus It, 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 it has afternoon. changed a lot. And uh, we've got some fantastic volunteers that we, you know, that do everything. Mm -hmm. So that's the, that's the, uh, that's the fun of being here because it's, it's work sometimes, and yeah. it's frustrating sometimes. And but you, we we've gotten a lot done, mm -hmm. so we're we're and we're still moving forward because in the last year and a half we spent over fifty thousand dollars doing tuck pointing and caulking and sealing and painting and tile roof. Uh, the guy that did the tile roof said, the first thing I've got to do is find some tile that were have been out of production since 1926. So they don't come cheap mm -hmm. you know, to, to do things like that, especially now. With How did he find the tile? He had, he had removed the tile from somebody's garage years ago, and the guy okay. said, no, he's going to keep it. He said, well, you, you know, you, you've had that for years and years. You haven't used it. So could you... Uh, let me have some, and he did for twenty-five bucks a tile, I think. Yeah, <laughs> and we only needed fifty to seventy-five. I don't know how many we needed. Yeah. Anyway, well, it was nice he had that connection. Yeah, with some. Yep. So anyway, uh, we we've had uh, since we moved into the Francis, we've had a leak. Uh, we finally got it stopped this year after years, it seemed like, and uh, people saying, "Daryl, you need to fix this." Put the buckets out. That's I, you know, I, they said, well, you know, we don't have the, you know, we don't have the money to fix it, or we don't have the money to have some a roofer come out and, mm -hmm. and come out and come out until they finally get it. So it's been that kind of a that kind of a thing. But it, when it stops, you know, when it stopped leaking, you say, oh, I feel so much better. 
And that's kind of the you know where we are right now. We've we've spent a lot of time, a lot of money, doing mm-hmm. things to. Uh, we've you know the museum has been here for a little over fifty years. I've been here about twenty five of that, and the first many years we were sitting there saying, well we 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 need to we need to work on the building. We need to work on. Well, we don't have any money, so it we it was deferred maintenance for a long time, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so we've gotten, you know, we've gotten this, the Francis building, uh, we've got it, redid, redid it in 06. Uh, we had a light the way campaign to get the lights on because about half of them would not go turn on. And we were afraid if we turned them on, we'd burn the whole building down. Uh, so there's a lot of things that we've done over the years that have embellished the uh, museum because everything that's in the Francis part of the building was originally in bank only. Mm-hmm. So we got that in about, uh, the chamber bought the building. They had it for about both buildings. They had it for about two, maybe three years. And after a couple of different chamber boards and chamber directors, they said, we need to uh, be building businesses, not rebuilding buildings. So we bought it from, for the same price that they bought it for a dollar and they said we'll even give you the dollar Uh, so we took on the albatross that the city kind of had gotten rid of to the chamber and and we took it on Mm -hmm. and that's when we got the got the whole got the francis redone uh and got the we'd been told it would be upwards of a hundred and fifty thousand dollars and we got into it for between 41 and 42,000 which was donations again Mm -hmm. uh and uh, part of that was new tin ceiling, so it looked like an old building. Uh, and part of it was a furnace that would heat and cool, a furnace and air conditioning that would heat and cool this whole, this whole barn. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, it's been, it's been fun uh, to see what has happened. And, and I've been trying over the years to, well, just the last year or so, trying to write down some of the history that I know that most of the people have been here any length of time have no clue how the how we got the lights on or how we you know mm-hmm. we, we had the light the way campaign was uh, we a bulb was twenty five dollars for the in the ceiling where it's well the bulb was twenty five and a square was a hundred and the uh, chandeliers the three chandeliers were five hundred apiece when we get, did the light the way and we had people say, nobody would ever give a hundred dollars for one of those squares. Nobody will ever give $500 for a, for a, uh, for a chandelier. And they were, they were right. We had, I think five or six people gave $500 for three chandeliers. So, mm-hmm. so it, and you know, so we had, I think there were 60 some people that donated a hundred to five hundred dollars, and some of, some of them the twenty five. Mm-hmm. Well, and the great thing about that is, um, you've probably given this building a much longer life and put it in a position where it can kind of sustain was, for for a long time without you know we, making another huge investment. We said we want to <clears throat> we want to get it into the next fifty years. Yep, and then fifty years from now, maybe you know, roof, maybe before that. Because some of those things don't last as long as you'd like them to, but but caulking and tuck pointing and doing all that kind of thing, which was needed, and 
so we're we're uh, getting better mm-hmm. as as a as a building or two. Do you, does the museum work at all with uh, with uh, local businesses or the Elms? T- just from an awareness standpoint, for when people come to visit we, we, Excelsior, we try, but it, uh, it doesn't always work because we can't. We're not there to hand out a brochure or anything mm-hmm. saying come down here, uh, and we do. We we try to do that. We've got a we've got a, a showcase at the Elms that has some stuff in it uh, that we you know have shown that you know something of the elms history mm-hmm. so we do try but it's difficult but the, the community has been super super uh with that you know with their things helping us when we do mm-hmm. fundraisers and that kind of thing that's yeah. that's the fun part is i wondered if i just wondered if you know um you know somebody comes into town from you know kansas city or from the region maybe for a wedding or something you know if folks um, have any idea like how like amazing the history is in Excelsior and and, like this is a some like some places you visit they've got uh, they've got a museum and it's um, something like really benign and you're just like yeah but here like um, like if I were I guess I can't honestly speak to this but you know I, I could imagine if I visited this town and I heard about the history then I would I would really want to come here. Yeah, and we have we have uh, all of the, the kiosks in the Hall of Waters. All that information came mm-hmm. from here. Okay. Then there's a little little area which used to be the bathhouses or mm-hmm. bath department. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and it has stuff. I say stuff again. Has artifacts and things from here. Uh, so we get. We would like to get more people in because that's part of the way that we're able to do some of the things we do and one of the things we don't do is we don't buy things as far as artifacts or whatever Mm -hmm. most of them come from donations and we've got 35 36,000 things in our inventory now so that's not counting pieces of paper that's counting uh, different individual things and we try to keep if we have something like that we keep two maybe we don't need 17 sure of of this thing or 17 of this postcard or whatever well and i'm sure there's a lot of um i've i've done this a little bit but i'm sure there's a lot of private collections around town Mm -hmm. and individuals who have collected things and hopefully sometime someday those things will will wind up here is the hope i guess I started. I started collecting Excelsior Spring stuff when one of the guys who was one of the initi- initiators of this museum got it started. Uh, he was an antique dealer, and I went to his. He had a shop here in town for a while. I went to his shop, and he was emptying it out. And he said, "I'm, I'm too old. I'm 81. My wife is 80. We're, we're too old to be packing up and going all over the country to antique shows." So he invited me to come up to his place. Every once, you know, so we went up there a few times, and finally I said, "What do you?" I was up there and I said, "What do you got that I can't live without?" And he said, "I got a whole basement full." So that's how I became an antique dealer, mm-hmm. uh, and how I got started. Well, kind of got started in this because he had like twenty-five different Excelsior postcards. Well, 
then you say, do you have an antique shop or something? You got any Excelsior postcards? No, I don't have postcards, but I got this plate. I've got this dog tag. I've got mm-hmm. this something. So you just kind of, yep. uh, it grew, and now I've got mm, hundreds of pieces. <laughs> I went to, uh, I saw, there was, as a few years ago, there was an auction in Lathrop, and I kind of glance at auctions sometimes because I enjoy those things, and they, this auction had a whole bunch of Excelsior stuff. So I went to this auction, <clears throat> and uh, um, there was all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I and I came home with a few things. Um, one which was uh, a matchbook collection of mm. Excelsior Springs matchbooks. Um, and I think I paid a dollar for it. Mm-hmm. And it probably has, you know, 40 or 50 matchbooks on it. So... Now I'm always on the lookout for it's on a little display thing. So like I now I've got to fill this thing. So I'm always on the lookout for yeah. for different matchbooks from Excelsior. And I'm I'm a I guess maybe a hoarder would be maybe a <laughs> good way to. But if I collector, get, if collector. I get two of something, well, can I get a third one? Can I find a fourth one? Yeah. So I've got I've got a lot of stuff, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of things. My wife sometimes mm, we need to. You know, get some of this. You brought something in the door. Where? What's going out the door? Uh-huh. Well, if I owned a trailer, then uh, our property would be, it would not be a good. <laughs> I don't allow myself to buy a trailer because <laughs> I might fill our entire acreage with random, yeah. random items yep. of large in nature. So, Yep, understood. If, uh, if someone were to come into the museum, like what is... What would be the, like, if you could only show them, like, one thing in this museum, what would, like, what would you take them to? One, one of the things, a lot of times we have the lights off because 112 lights in that ceiling, we don't turn them on full time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but somebody walks in and you say, oh, this looks neat. I said, well, let me show you the wow moment and turn on the lights. And they go, wow. And if, <laughs> say, that's, I just told you it's going to be a wow moment. Mm-hmm. But... But that's that's the thing that everybody leaves with that the ceiling in there is just tremendous. Uh, we want my wife and I went to Hungary and did a Danube River cruise, and we went to a thing at the uh, Vienna Opera House, and you say that ceiling looks pretty much like what we've got in here. So mm-hmm. oh, it still has the gold and the silver on it where we don't have that on our ceiling anymore. Well, we still have it. It's just been painted over. In somebody's wisdom, they decided to paint over it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of overseas travels, like I think every time I see you, you're uh, heading out to uh, like another adventure. Parts unknown. Yep. Uh, our son teaches... Uh, youngest son teaches in teaches overseas so he's taught in south korea thailand hungary uh south korea thailand hungary where else turkey and he just moved recently to kuala lumpur malaysia so uh, they said we could uh, we could uh, come over and see him at christmas and i think his his rationale was, if we come to see him, it's our $2,500 a person. But if he comes this way, it's his $2,500 <laughs> per person to get here. So, eh, so, but if we can, we'll probably go. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's pro- probably more exciting for you to go over there than him to come yeah. just back home. 
Well, he goes and sees all of his friends. He's got, our house is kind of the center of, of uh, kind of the hub. Every, but uh-huh. he's, you know, when he, he, they come home uh, in the summer for six weeks or so, and he may be in Texas, he may be in Chicago, he may be Colorado. He'll, he'll be somewhere visiting some friends that he had, that he taught with or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we've been to all those places, so uh, we haven't been to Kuala Lumpur yet, but we've been to all the others. And his wife is from Newfoundland, Canada. So we've been there three or four times, five times, I think. So we, if somebody had told two old school teachers that they would be going to all these different places, we'd said, you're nuts. Uh, and maybe we are. Yeah. Uh, but... but uh, it's fun, and we've done a lot of we have done a lot of traveling, which uh, we never thought we would do. When our other son went to went from here to uh, Arizona, we thought, "Oh my gosh, that's a long ways away, twelve hundred and fifty miles." Well, take that times about ten, and you or twelve, and you get Kuala Lumpur, so it's half a world away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is he teaching something related to the West, or is he, he... He teaches in an international school. They were, okay. Most of them were, made, were started by the State Department to take care of kids, uh, embassy kids and that kind of thing. And now they are... The embassy in Hungary still had someone on the board, but they're more, uh, more international now. The one in Hungary had, you know, there's a certain percentage of Americans be, can be in that school, mm-hmm. a certain amount of Hungarians, a certain amount of Chinese. There seemed to be a lot of Chinese there, uh, that kind of thing. And so the, with the percentages and stuff, he could get in because, with, and his children could go, to, could go to that school even above the percentages because he's working there. But... Mm-hmm. So he's primarily educating expats from he's, he's lots teaching, of different countries in these he's countries. He's teaching kids from all over. Okay. Uh, some oh. of them have really good English. Some have, have not so good English. Uh, but they are, some of them have lived all over the world. Well, our, our granddaughter was born in Thailand and, and lived in Turkey, lived in Hungary. And her grandson is just Hungary. Poor kid. He's only had only had one, but uh, until he moved to Malaysia. But that's fun to to go see them and see what they're doing and their schools there. Will, you know, the old saying, it'll "Knock your eyes out." You go there and there's tile floors and the kids have seats that are padded back and padded seat that raise and lower so you don't have some seventh grade kid that is six foot and some other another one that's four four foot eight and one of them's got his knees by his ears and the other one his feet are dangling and so it's it's a little different than here when you've got uh apparently the government has more money than than we do (laughs) the federal government to, to do some of those kinds of things but they pay they pay uh dearly to to go there one of their friends they was his, he was a lawyer for Exxon, and they said, "What do you, you know?" He had two kids. Mm-hmm. Derek has two kids. Well, Derek's kids went free. The Exxon paid for the other for the other guys, and he mm-hmm. was a lawyer. So he, when he went back home, he went to uh, 
the Exxon in, in, in Texas with, a, with an office up high. <laughs> so said, well, we, can, uh, we can run around with them, but we can't try to keep up. So that was, but anyway, they were just some awesome people mm-hmm. that, that are there and from all over creation. Yeah, probably in, in these countries doing like really interesting things as well. Yeah, they are. Well, uh, we've been, you know, every time we've gone somewhere, we've probably done an excursion somewhere. We went from Seoul down to the tip of, southern tip of uh, South Korea. We've been to uh, northern uh, Thailand. We, in Turkey, there was a thing on visitors to Turkey. The federal government had some kind of thing on uh, people going to Turkey and so my son said, "Well, you want to you want to go to Greece? It's thirty nine dollars for a round trip." So, well, yeah, we'll go to Greece for thirty nine dollars. <throat> so we've done you know do those kind of crazy things. We went to Austria when we were went to Vienna when we were in Budapest at Christmas. My daughter in law said they've got better Christmas march than does Hungary. So we bought a little bit at every one of them, and some mulled wine at every one mm-hmm. of them, uh, and stayed there. You know, so we've, you know, toured the uh, Acropolis and, uh, you know, just done things that we, you never dreamed of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been a little, I've always been a little afraid about, <laughs> I don't know why, but I've always been a little afraid to, to cross the ocean, but uh, probably shouldn't be. Well, I've had people say there's no way in <clears throat> I would ever, you know, go to the such and such a country. And I said, I'll bet you if your grandkids are there and your kids are there, and I bet you would go. Well, yeah, I would. So mm-hmm. uh, don't say never. You know, it's well. And people always talk about the you know the perspective that you gain, um, mm-hmm. you know, being in other countries, and that's something I feel like I definitely lack. Well, we've done it, and. It's, it's an it's a, an educational experience to see you know what, who goes to the Vienna Opera House and here's a seventeen year seventeen year old girl that's a violin virtuoso and a pianist and conductor and stuff does and you think this is crazy I've never you know never done that before mm-hmm. now I, I can say I have. And it was it was probably the highlight of the of the cruise that we took on the Danube was seeing that that gal that was seventeen years old and you say I seventeen I was lucky to get through high school yeah there's I think there's something going on right now with uh, with I think what you used to call like um, like incredibly talented people. Now that there's uh, that you kind of have social media and um, and kind of in the of course the internet, um, you see all these re- like these people who have these remarkable skill sets, especially mm-hmm. at young ages. And I've wondered like is is that because there's more available to like to kids now, um, and it's easier for them to pick up on this stuff and learn it. Or do you just not see it in the past? Um, there's probably, just, probably yeah. yes to both. Yeah, uh, but there are you know 
there's incredibly talented people here in Excelsior that, you know, that we don't even think about. There's, there are many artists that live here. Uh, there's people that were, that sang. There's people that, uh, of, of all the uh, modern art in the world, one of the guys that was one of the primary modern artists was uh, born here. And you think, born in Excelsior Springs? Well, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, an actress that uh, was Jane to many of the Johnny Weissmuller Tarzans was born here. So you say, how did that... Mm-hmm. You know, and the movie that was made here uh, in 1970 was written by a lady from here whose husband was a dentist. So there's a lot of talented people all over. Some of them hadn't had the exposure to where they might do something like that. Mm-hmm. Others, uh, others can take you know have the ability to take advantage of some of those opportunities where others may not. Um, so the I think the artist that you're referring to, um, I had no idea. Donald, I didn't know, um, Donald Judd. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy Snelling actually mentioned this to me. I think we were talking about. Um, I don't know what we were talking about. We might have been talking about festivals in Excelsior or something, and somehow it came up like, well, we have this, like one of the most important artists of you know of all time is from Excelsior, and and no one even knows it. I think he was telling me, and so of course I I go home and I dial it up, and and uh, that's it. I mean, this um, he was a big deal, like yeah. a really big deal, well, and. Um, um, so then I, from my collector standpoint, I'm like, Oh, let me see what's out there. And like, I can't afford to even uh, buy like a, a book that has pictures of, <laughs> of his work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, we had some in the museum for a while. One mm-hmm. of them was a, a picture that he painted in high school. Wow. And, uh, Bowen, the, uh, the art teacher said, well, I, there were actually two of them. One of them was a wolf or something. Uh-huh. Or something. And he said, I can see the, the modern art. Cause this is one of them was like the mesas in New Mexico. So mm-hmm. there were more square lines and, uh, that kind of thing. And, and we had people that didn't like them because didn't like them. those were ones that he did in high school. He had mm-hmm. three prints that were geometric type of things. Mm-hmm. And we had people that didn't like them. They said we need to get rid of them, and they were they belonged to a family here in town. So mm-hmm. we we took them back, and hopefully we could get them again. I don't know if we mm-hmm. ever will, but so they went back to the to the to, to the, the family. family. They were they hadn't they hadn't given them to us. They were just here oh, on gotcha. loan. But but uh, you say I don't care if you like it or if that's good art to you or yeah. not. Uh, the guy was born here, and well, when he died, there were. I think 36 of his pieces that brought somewhere around $25 million. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing that he's bigger deal than Excelsior yeah. Springs maybe know. Do you happen to know where the farm is that he grew up? Because I that was something I was trying to figure he out. Was, he was born in a house on Goff Hill. Okay. Maybe, I don't know if it's still there or not, uh, but that's where he was born. And... We have a we have a big wooden box in the basement that nobody knew what it was. So now we've got pictures stored in it, uh, but it was a box that was in the basement of a house up there that somebody brought to us. 
when they figured out who Donald Judd was. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought that I had read that he had spent part of his childhood on a farm in in the Excelsior area. Well, his grandparents lived here when he was born. Okay. His dad was a worked at the for the one of the railroads, and he was up around Omaha, I think, at that time. The father and mm-hmm. they was where the his parents lived, and. When he when they were pregnant or when the mother was pregnant, they came down here to live with the grandparent. He she lived with the grandparent for mm-hmm. a while, and that's how he came to be born in Excelsior. But the grandparents were here. Yeah. So if you happen to be, I usually don't talk to the audience that I can't see. But if you <laughs> happen, if you happen uh, to be listening, uh, definitely Google Donald Judd because. Uh, Quite, he might be the most significant figure to come out of Excelsior. It seems like that to me. Yeah. When you really kind of like dive in, um, it was a really big deal. Um, and then was like pretty prominent in in the New York art scene for yeah. like the rest of his life, I think. Well, he got tired of that <clears throat> after a while, and he bought an old, well, he bought a, what, surplus uh, army uh, some kind of a field or in something. In Texas or something? In Marfa, Texas. Yep, I remember reading that. Yep. And uh, he moved down there. We had at one time, we had pictures of his bedroom on, and a barrack. And the bed was on a low platform at one end of the building. And you could see nothing but floor all the way to his bed from what looked like one end of the barrack to the other. So he, he, it was. Uh, minimalist, let's, let's just say. Yep. That, yeah, that, that would be an accurate description <laughs> of his work, I think. Yeah. And one of his works is in the block building of the, uh, of the uh, Nelson Atkins. And it's about five or six stainless steel squares that are about a foot deep with orange lights that are stacked up along the wall. And there's... Uh, Lights under orange lights underneath them. So I, I thought, boy, why couldn't I thought of something like that? <laughs> well, the next time I'm down there, I'm going to have to remember that and uh, and uh, check that out. It's in the block part of it, or was in, in the the newer edition. The newer part. edition, yeah. Yep. Very interesting. Um, what's something? Uh, now I'm getting kind of questiony. Okay. <laughs> What's what's is there a piece of Excelsior history that that uh, I mean I think that's one of them that's kind of a little unknown and it shouldn't be but um, what's what's something else that you think is maybe maybe passed by or a lot of people don't realize about Excelsior? Oh, what, well, one of the things that I tell people is during the, the Depression we had four railroads and. The Wabash, it was just a spur from the main line at Missouri City, I think, over to here. But on the way back, you know, Excelsior was shipping water all over the country anyway. So mm-hmm. there's stories that they would stop on the bluff before they got went down onto the plain by the river and take on water, in quotation marks, from the from the still in, in Hootishell Woods. So... I don't know. I haven't, you know, we haven't gotten proof of that, but we've mm-hmm. heard stories about it. That's one of those. 
The still and who to show? I don't know. A, a, a still, just selling booze mm-hmm. uh, during the Depression, but we were selling water all over anyway, so why not just take on another few jugs? Yeah. Uh, What's the who to show? Do you say who to show? That was the name of a family. Okay. Uh, another one was there was a there was a fraud, not a fraud, a hoax here, uh, where a singer and a guy. Uh, that he uh, chained himself to the uh, the uh, mm-hmm. radiator outside the door of her of her apartment, and said he wasn't going to leave till she married him. And uh, he uh, had to go to the bathroom, I guess, and so she got out. Well, in New York City, they found both of them together. So the whole thing was a hoax, but, oh, it, but it got him some got him some notoriety, and she got some jobs in New York City. I have a <laughs> so I have a, a press photo from that, <clears throat> um, and the reason why it's something I um, got off of eBay. Um, the reason why I got it is because somebody evidently brought. Well, now that I know it's a hoax, it's like less less interesting. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> somebody supposedly brought him a bicycle to ride for exercise. And they like, so I've got a picture of him chained to the radiator on a bicycle. And of course, I like it because it's got a bicycle on it. And it's part of Excelsior history. So, yep, I've seen that. But that's one of those things that, you know, you never, yep. y- you never think about or anything. Nobody, I did say something to one of the other people here at the museum. So I can remember my dad talking about that years and years ago. So. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Well, where do we go from here? Well, uh, <laughs> I, I worked in a private boys camp for 11 years. My wife worked there for five. And that was not? That was in Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Okay. That was in the summer. I started when I was in college and uh, then got up there. And part of who I am is from that. Uh, there, I met, well, the first thing I, I was asked to speak up there at a, one of their things when I got up there for a reunion and he said, what was it? I said, my first thing was culture shock because these are kids from St. Louis, Chicago, Cleveland, whose dads are doctors, lawyers, business people. I grew up in Maryville, which, which had 5,000 people and they mm-hmm. lived in these big towns and they had done all kinds of things. So, so the kids I had in my cabin were, you know, two or three of them are Fathers owned big businesses, and some of the others were, you know, doing. One of the kids said, "Everybody in my, everybody in my, and my dad's country club is a millionaire." And I said, "One of the kids said, is your dad a millionaire?'" He said, "I don't know. He spends a lot." So this kid had, you know, swam or fished uh, north of the Arctic Circle, and he'd been got to swim with Flipper. His dad paid the the attendant off somehow. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> so anyway, that was the kind of thing that that. Uh, and I I get together with uh, about once a month with started out with five or six of us, and now there's about twenty five on that Zoom call. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can't all be there at the same time, but you know, and we've lost a few of them because that was fifty years ago. With my you know well. My last year was 75, so it's almost 50 years. 
So some of those have kind of dropped out, and I hope I'm not dropping out shortly. Uh, but they're, you know, again, lawyers. One's a talent scout that lives in Malibu. And you say, this is a friend of mine? How, did, how in the world <laughs> am I so lucky as to, to met some of those people? Uh-huh. And one of the guys drove a, a uh, Shelby GT500 Mustang up to camp, and he collected old business machines, typewriters and stuff. So he pulled a U-Haul home on, on his Mustang, uh, which would go 180 probably, and he's pulling a U-Haul trailer on it. Uh, and, you know, next year was an XKE, and you say, how in the world? And my, and my 54 Dodge was sitting there beside it, <laughs> either one of them. So anyway, that was kind of the things that mm-hmm. were just, you know, amazing to me. And the guy that did the first was in single sculling in the 64 Olympics, learned to row a boat and paddle a canoe at that camp. And John Kander, who wrote Cabaret and Happy Time, his, he drove him crazy up there because he'd sit at the piano and if somebody would say something, he would play it back to them with their inflection and stuff and drove people nuts. They wanted to kill him. Uh, but I run around with his nephew. So mm-hmm. wow, this is crazy. So John Kander wrote Cabaret and Happy Time and some other musicals, which were minor, mm-hmm. <laughs> minor, minor, uh, movies, whatever. So it's just a, an amazing group. And, uh, you know, so we get together once a month and hash out old times and how stupid we were. And, the, you know, then we all got married and... Mm-hmm. Well, you uh, obviously influenced all these these great minds, Daryl. Uh, I doubt it. <laughs> I, I told him one time on that Zoom call, I said, if you hang around enough awesome people, somebody thinks you have some redeeming qualities. And one of the guys that's a rabbi said, oh, my gosh, Daryl, you know, we don't. it's a joke. I don't, you know, I, I feel fine. I'm, I'm not, not ready to commit Harry Carey or anything. <laughs> but, but it's that, you know, you just kind of uh, in awe of some of the people that you met, some of the lawyers at the Watergate thing were up there. And he was the only kid that got to go up to, after hours to the, to the main lodge and uh, watch TV to see his dad. Mm-hmm. The rest of the kids had to sit in the, or, you know, sleep in the, in the cabin. So anyway, that was, that was one of my, uh, things that growing up is with just an amazing uh, amazing experience for yeah, all sounds those, like it for all those years and the guy that got me there who he's now the only doctor in the Missouri Sports Hall of Fame as a doctor the whole time not for any sport or whatsoever mm-hmm. but he's he was a doctor at, for the Maryville High School spoof hounds which I was a spoof hound uh, and then he went to the Bearcats, and he did both of them for several years. And he's, a, you know, he got he was inducted three or four years ago into the Sports Hall of Fame. So anyway, his dad, everybody says Dr. Har, and I say Dr. Har was the head of the history department when I was going to college. It's not Pat, mm-hmm. which was my buddy. But anyway, that's that's the kind of thing that. You know, you say, how lucky am I to have been able to do some of these things? Yeah, I mean, the 
the the people that are that are in our lives are are the you know they they do a lot to shape to shape our lives and our experiences and those are those are probably more valuable than any yeah and any, the teachers I had that you know some of them I was scared to death of and others I thought they're nuts uh, and probably I got learned more from one teacher that you know got up out on got up on the desk when we we're doing what something about Shakespeare and says, out damn spot out ice. We thought, this lady's completely nuts. <laughs> so so anyway, then when I was teaching, guess what? You have to kind of put on a show sometimes. So. Yeah. Did so. you stand on the desk? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say yes. Like, Stacy didn't tell me about this part. Uh, no, I, I did a lot of <laughs> stupid things, but, you know. No. And the other thing is, having been in Vietnam, uh, you know, Somebody, I had people say, well, I put this kid in your class because uh, I said because some things don't bother me. And she said, well, I, that, yeah, I wasn't going to put it that way, but yes, that's why. You know, a kid having some, that has problems is not a, is not a problem. <laughs> when you're worried about, what, you know, for a year, worried about whether you're going to get home or not. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of one of those things. And, but I was lucky when I came home from Vietnam because – you know, everybody wanted to come home, mm-hmm. but I, my girlfriend, which is now my wife of 52 years, uh, was still there. So we co- corresponded. And if we get into some kind of a, a spat, let's say, uh, she says, listen, buddy, I've got it in, in writing that you wanted to get married. So, so I got, you know, got home, was looking forward to getting married two months later, uh, looking forward to go back up to the boys' camp, which was five days after I got married, uh, looking forward to getting a job. Some guys came home. Their girlfriend was married to one of their best buddies, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they couldn't get a job. Uh, they maybe uh, physically or mentally ha- uh, have some handicaps. And so everything was the rearview mirror. Me, everything was looking forward. Mm-hmm. And the whole summer of that first year that I was at, back at camp, nobody ever said anything to me about having been in Vietnam or been in combat or anything. It was, it was all, if I said something, they said, oh, really? And it was, that was a pretty much it. So it was, it was a complete decompression for, a, for quite a while. And I didn't tell people I would, had been in Vietnam for probably 10 years. I didn't, I wouldn't have told you Yeah. And for probably 10 years. And then I went to a thing in Maryville that where a guy that had been in, had a band that was called Festival that was in Skidmore actually, which has gotten a lot of bad press, but uh, he did the, uh, he had a band and he was the front man. And at, uh, my brother asked if I wanted to go to festival and fireworks. I said, what in the world are you talking about? Well, festival's abandoned. They're going to have fireworks after they perform. So, okay. So we went and they said, how many World War I vets? Because in 78 or something like that, eight, there were uh, some World War I vets left. Mm-hmm. How many World War II vets? And then how many Korean War vets? And then they said, there's some vets that, veterans that have kind of been left out of everything 
because it was unpopular. How many uh, Vietnam vets, and I saw guys stand up and you know, throw their fist in the air, and I thought, holy cow, this is a whole different thing than I've ever thought about because they were guys getting spit on and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And I got out of the Army at 11.30 or something like that at night. So by the time I got to the uh, San Francisco airport at 2, uh, all, the, all the people that were spitting on people were, I guess, high and home by that time. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the what I came home to. And it was, it was completely different than a lot of guys. Yep. And I've had people say that of all the guys that I know that have, were in combat in Vietnam, you're the least screwed up of any of them. And I, thought, <laughs> is, I don't know. Is that a compliment or is that a, mm -hmm. is that a, I don't know. What is that? But anyway, uh, that kind of marks your life too. Uh, some things just don't, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would imagine if, uh, my my dad's a Vietnam vet, <clears throat> and I imagine um, when you come home, if you have if if you have something waiting for you, or if you have kind of something mapped out, look that probably probably makes forward. a big difference. Yeah, as opposed to just having to you know almost start over or, or figure it out, I or, guess. or or sit in the hospital for sure months maybe before you can get out. So it's as a mixed bag. And then the camp was another thing that really uh, my made me who I am, I guess. In college, I was on the five-year-in-one summer school plan. Uh, you have to have a major, they said, to graduate. So I spent about two years without a major, then a, or a year and a half without a major. Then I majored in business for a semester and said, I don't like sitting and doing numbers all day. And then I got into history for three semesters, and that's not really what I want. And I really wanted to do elementary when I or got out of high school, but and that was not the that was not the uh, what popular the some you know. So I said okay. So finally, I, after three and a half years, I said I'm going to be an elementary teacher, and spent three semesters in one summer school. Uh, doing required courses, nothing but required courses. So, mm -hmm. and so I've been here for, you know, for now 50 some years and, and, you know, I, I, you know, this is home. A lot of people say, well, I'm from so-and-so. I just, sure. I just live here. Well, I'm from here. I live here now after mm -hmm. that. And one of my least favorite things to hear somebody that lived here their whole life you say this is going on and or this going on and they kind of cross their arms and say it won't be like it was and my thought is i'm guessing you don't look like you did 50 years ago either i can't go back to that and neither can you mm -hmm. all we can do is go forward so that's you know yep and like it was is i mean uh now it's it's a, it's not a long time ago but it actually probably is a, I mean, pre, mm -hmm. you know, uh, kind of pre-50s would be the heyday, right? So Well, it, it yeah, there were, there were several years in there uh, that it was, this was a, you know, we've, what, a uh, quarter of a million people got off of trains here. A quarter of a million people in a town of 4,000. 
Now mm-hmm. that's unheard of. Yep. If they're going to you know, come here to stay or do anything. So that's one of those things that uh, there's a, just right over here, there's a thing that in the, in the 20s, there were like 67 doctors lived here in a town of under 3,000. Now, every 2,000, you know, that's a lot. I mean, for every, Mm -hmm. for every hundred, there's. What I think is interesting about Excelsior history is, and this is just my perception. I don't know if this is accurate or not, is, of course, you have the the healing waters, right? And you've Mm -hmm. kind of got these kind of this, some probably accurate and some folklore about how this water was discovered and and how it started you know people started to use it and and uh so that seems like one thing to me but then it feels like somewhere in there like the torch started to get passed from the water kind of still with this like backdrop of the water mm-hmm. but from the water to like a like a like a healthcare medical industry in mm-hmm. town and the water seemed to kind of like slowly fade. And then this, like, you know, from what I've read, it feels like then this like kind of healthcare thing kind of seemed to, to kind of take over and the water wasn't so important anymore. And they were doing a lot of arthritis treatment and mm-hmm. things like that. And the water wasn't quite as important anymore. Well, they were, they were you know, if somebody had anemia, they'd use calcium water. If they had... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or anemia would be iron water, and then mm-hmm. if they were uh, osteoporosis, would be calcium water. So there's all those kinds of things that it may have been some help to. Mm-hmm. Others were, I, I don't know exactly how they worked, and I'm not a, I taught mm-hmm. fifth grade. What do I know about <laughs> about uh, physiology and yeah. all that stuff? But but uh, anyway, it's it's a fascinating history. What yeah. other town of the size of Excelsior Springs has a history like ours mm-hmm. who had the, uh, had a president stay there the night they were elected. Well, Plains, Georgia, but that's a little different, little mm-hmm. different deal. Uh, but you know, it's just a, an amazing place. And this is the most giving place I can, you know, uh, if you have a vision and to do things, they say we'll help, which is, mm-hmm which is what I've found all the way along. And so I've done a lot of you know, things for volunteer stuff. Well, they say it pays to volunteer. No, you pay to when you're volunteer because, mm-hmm. you know, we, this is needed. And, okay, well, we'll do something. But, you know, I've done things for kids. I'm a kid person still. And that's my, that's my bag and... And if there's kids around, I had a person ask me one time, how do you have such a rapport for the, with kids? I said, well, if the parents walk in with the kid, you talk with the parents and then say, oh, hi, and then go back to the parents. I say hello to the kids and talk to them and then say, oh, hi, and then go back to the kid. It's mm-hmm. a whole different, whole different thing. She said, oh, I guess I never realized it. Well, that's kind of how you do. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, everybody does pretty much that's adult oriented and I'm spent you know years at a boys camp and years at scout camp and years at teaching and being around you know 
young people my whole life. Mm -hmm. One thing that I like, I think is, you know, special about Excelsior is, I mean, it, I shouldn't say the one, one thing it's, uh, there's a lot of special people in this community and, uh, um, kind of the, one of the reasons I felt comfortable kind of starting doing this podcast because I was able to sit down and pretty quickly make a list of about 50 people who like are fascinating to me that all live right here in the community. And, uh, also Excelsior citizen has done the citizen spotlight. Um, and yeah, that's not really what I'm doing, but, uh, um, you know, there's just a plethora of, uh, of interesting folks in, in town. And then, you know, if you've got a dream or a hope or something that, that you want to do, there's not a whole, I don't really get the reaction I get is not, oh, I wouldn't do that. Or uh, yeah, like the reaction I get in this community is, is please go forward, do it. Yeah. Like well, if you like, look at the business, go out on the limb, right? Like yeah, if you look at the I businesses like up and down Broadway, there's a lot of people that went out on a limb yep. and that's how the revitalization started coming about. Um, all right. So we were about a little over an hour in. Okay. Uh, which is fine. Um, I've splattered for a long time. <laughs> um, I wanted to, I wanted to, to get to, uh, uh, share your nugget. So I kind of talked to you a little bit about what type, what kind of like words of wisdom or okay. things to live by. Do you have to share? Well, when I was a freshman in high school, we were told we had to learn a poem had to be at least 12 lines, so mine was, guess how many lines? 12. 12. Uh, and it was uh, the old philosopher and said, I saw him sit in his front door, trembling as old men do. His house was old, his barn was old, but yet his eyes seemed new. His eyes had seen three times my years, yet kept their twinkle still. He had lived through life and death, three graves upon the hill. I asked him what his philosophy was. Impressively, he rose. I make the most of all that comes, the least of all that goes. I use those last two lines a lot in Vietnam. When mm -hmm. you know, my best buddy was killed, when things happen, you just, you know, you say, I've got to make the best of it. And then we were sitting there. I was, I went to NCO school and became a, went to Vietnam as a sergeant at 26. And they thought I was an old timer. I'd been there, you know, but... But I used that, those last two words, make the mm -hmm. most of all that comes, the least of all that goes. And at the camp, uh, they have a poem, I think it's Edgar Guest did, uh, now I can't even think of the first words. Uh, but anyway, it, it says, uh, all that we put into the lives of others comes back into our own. So you gotta, unless you sow some of that seed, you're not going to get it back. Uh, you know, and a lot of people say, well, you know, have this idea that everybody, it's give me, give me, give me. And uh, the camp, everybody was a giver. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a taker, you're not a very good counselor at a boys camp or scout camp or mm -hmm. wherever. So that was, uh, there. Oh, okay, now I got it. The destiny that guides us. No man goes his way alone. What we put into the lives of others comes back into our own. It matters not your faith or creed. One thing holds firm and fast. Into this fitful heap of days and deeds, 
the soul of a man is cast. So those are the two. Those are two poems. Mm-hmm. Uh, one was by the you know, was not written. I don't know who wrote the first one, uh, but the, that was an assignment from the lady I thought was nuts by standing on the table. But it stood me in good stead for a long time. And when we were seniors, that was a freshman. As a senior, we were a bunch of us were doing you know things that we had learned in poems or whatever and. I said that and said, ooh, that's more poem than what I, than what I thought I learned. I just told a good story, and, but I thought, hmm, that's a, that's, a, that's a nugget that you want to hang on to. Those are, those are fantastic nuggets. I like those a lot. Um, do you, uh, before we go here, is there anything that you would want to... Um, uh, mention uh, just about the museum or anything else that uh, folks might want to know. Well, uh, the museum is in a place is an amazing place. The building, the bank building, is an amazing building. I saw the ceiling like that in the Vienna Opera House. It just it just amazes me, uh, and the number of people that live within a mile of here that have never. He doesn't even know it exists, number one, mm-hmm. and never been in it, number two. So that's the thing that always amazes me is how many people don't know that we have a museum and don't know how good it is. Because mm-hmm. we have people come in and say, wow, I didn't know this, you know, this 6,000 square feet is a lot of square feet of museum uh, with all the all the neat things that we've got in here and all the all the neat stories. If you're over eight miles from home, I tell them, I can lie to you. I can tell you any story I want to. But. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the cost of a membership um, is, is literally a inexpensive meal at a restaurant that's, that's here and then gone. So mm-hmm. I would encourage people to, to, to come yeah. down and, and join. And it's $5 to come in. Yeah. Well, if, if you're a member, you come free. So that, come on in. Yeah. Yeah. You should just be a member. Yeah. Come here a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Daryl, so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks again. You betcha. It's great. Thank you. Mm